when districts were really talking about digital equity, they were really talking about how do we create these meaningful opportunities for kids? How do we really support them as expert learners? How do we make sure that we're working with our broader community? Districts that were having that conversation were having these bigger conversations about equity. Today's topic of our podcast is Digital Equity Beyond Device Access, a conversation with Beth Holland, the leader of research and measurement at the Learning Accelerator. Tech Talk for Teachers is brought to you by Avid.org. Avid believes that every student needs opportunity to gain knowledge. To learn more about Avid, visit their website at avid.org. Welcome to Tech Talk for Teachers the podcast where teachers discuss how technology and teaching best practices can positively transform education to create equitable classrooms for future-ready learners. I'm Rena Clark. I'm Paul Beckerman. And I'm Winston Benjamin. We are educators. And we're here to share actionable teaching strategies you can implement into your classroom. Education is our passport to the future. Our quote of the day comes from Kipto Kasaniti Buckner, Deputy Director of um, Strategic Initiatives at the Kansas City Public Library, an advocate for closing the digital divide. She says that digital access and equity, it is no longer a luxury. This is serious. It's really a social justice issue. It's the 21st century civil rights issue. Paul, how do you, what do you think about that comment? I couldn't agree more, actually. I really do think it's a social justice and civil rights issue. I don't know that it always was, but I, I really believe it is now. You know, access to information and services is essential to scaffold any citizen up to academic, economic, social success, even civic engagement. If you don't have access, you're kind of on the outside looking in. I mean, some job applications, even if you don't have access to the internet, you you can't apply for the job. You're totally locked out. Um, my son just bought a house. If he didn't have internet access, he wouldn't be able to get the documents to take care of, to send back in. There's just so many things that our, our society now has built systemically into digital access. You just have to have it. Mm. That's such a powerful point. I think it, it, giving access to information. I think about my parents. My parents just got Wi-Fi. So I think about how the digital divide not only impacts racialized community, but how it impacts aged community as well. Thinking about how people were trying to get pandemic um, shots and they couldn't get access because they didn't know how to use the websites, right? So I think it's really an important conversation, not just in education, but in general, how do we give and provide information and access to that information? Before we start with our introduction, we wanted to just let our um, our guests know, Beth Hollander, would you be willing to share your opinion on this? It's I think it might be close to you. I mean, I, as you were talking, I was thinking about a quote that I always come back to actually from sociologist Paul Atwell. And he talks about the digital divide, not just being the technology haves and the technology have nots, but the information haves and the information have nots and that it's critical for full inclusion in society. And so it certainly is a social justice and a civil rights issue and one that spans not just to education, but you know, to economics, to healthcare, um, and to everything else that you've mentioned. So, you know, it's an excellent quote. I think it really starts to raise the issue, and it's 
I think hopefully what we can start to talk about today that while it's certainly a critical point in education, it spans so much more than than just that sector. Absolutely. And even access to parents utilizing education. So as you heard, we have such a wonderful voice and guest here today. I, I Surprisingly, she knows my boss, so I got to be on my best behavior. <laughs> um, but we have today with us Dr. Beth Holland, who's a partner at the Research and Measurements for um, the Learning Accelerator. We would just really like to thank her for her time and opportunity for joining us today um, to uh, with our team of Tech Talks for Teachers. So first I want to ask, right, it, the, a lot of people are like, oh, these words, these phrases, common, common core tech, education, equity, all these other things, digital divide. What does that mean? So first of all, I just really wanted to see if you can give us a grounding and tell us just a little bit about the learning accelerator and then share a little bit about the, the digital equity guide that you've put together um, as an organization. Sure. So I'll start with, you know, the Learning Accelerator. We are a national nonprofit and we at our core believe that every child has the right to um, experience an effective, engaging and equitable education. And to do that and, and essentially entails that every every educational experience is focused on the whole child. It's personalized to meet their unique needs and interests and motivations and passions and that it's mastery based, meaning that it's really focused on that deep learning and not, you know, learning as a measure of seat time. Uh, so I've been with the Learning Accelerator about two years and leading our research and measurement work. And so that means I work alongside districts in some instances, helping them to, you know, solve interesting challenges and problems of practice. I support some external partnerships where we're doing some interesting projects. Uh, for example, we're launching one right now where we're along the lines of digital ex equity, we're asking like, what kinds of creative learning opportunities do students get to experience if they're provided with creative tools and if their teachers get really high quality professional learning? Um, sometimes we ask other questions around like, what does it mean to help districts to develop more equitable and engaging and effective virtual and hybrid models? So lots of really interesting questions that we dig into from a research and measurement perspective. Um, the to take it back towards the digital equity guide, that was something that my colleagues and I developed um, over the last year. And it started as a project that I was really deeply interested in when I was working alongside the Consortium of School Networking um, as their digital equity project director. And so it's a, it's sort of a passion project that took about two and a half years to finally come to fruition. And what we realized is there is a lot of confusion around like, what does digital equity mean? And what's the difference between digital equity and digital access? And, you know, how what can school leaders and educators actually do? And it wasn't just about how do we help people understand what digital equity is, but how can we help teams come together and have actionable conversations that lead to measurable change? And with that, we said, okay, how can we put together this guide? And I used the framing before where I said, you know, at the Learning Accelerator, we have this core belief that learning should be, you know, again, focused on the whole child, personalized and mastery based. That's our learning framework. And we think everything comes back to that. So when we started talking about digital equity, we said there absolutely has to be a, f a set of foundations in place. You know, every child, every student should have access to a device 
and I mean a device more than just a phone, but one that's really sufficient to meet their learning needs, that it's sufficient to support their interests and motivations, um, that they have ownership over it. So they can really customize it and make sure that it supports their unique needs and expertise. And every student should have access to high quality, you know, high speed internet, both at school and at home. And that's an important piece that I believe COSIN really started to drive home starting before, even before the pandemic. And when they talked about the homework gap, like it's not equitable access if kids can't have the same things at school as they do at home and vice versa. So we started with that foundation and then we said, okay, but what does it really look like in practice? And when we start to think about equity, it's more than just saying like, I've given every kid a device, but now we start saying, what are the kinds of experiences that they're having with that device? And then from there, we sped out a little bit further and said, what are the enabling conditions and supports and systems that need to be in place beyond just infrastructure to make sure that teachers and in schools can actually implement the kinds of experiences and opportunities they wanna have. So for example, what is the vision for teaching and learning with technology in the first place? Because going back to the research, there is a long-standing body of knowledge where a lot of students, particularly those that are in global majority communities, that are those um, where districts have a high percentage of you know, schools that are considered Title I status, students in those communities often have access to technology but it's largely you know remediation and test prep um, or like the drill and skill kinds of activities whereas you go to your more affluent and frankly your more white communities and suddenly you have maker spaces and computer science and stem courses and all kinds of opportunities with internships and externships and like that's not equity when we don't have these opportunities that are really empowering and honoring our students' interests and motivations and capacities and potential. And so the Digital Equity Guide really tried to take all of the messiness around digital equity and pull it together in a way where a team could sit down and say, where are we right now and where do we want to go? I appreciate the idea of simplifying it, <laughs> right? The what to how. Yeah, my head's kind of ready to explode because this is the world I've lived in for for the last number of years as a digital learning specialist and so many things that you just said reverberate with me on the on the ground realities you know of what happens in schools and I'm just going to point out a couple just to reinforce them because that teaching philosophy thing is huge what do you do with those devices once you have them that leads to high quality teaching and learning if you don't have that you may as well not even have the device. It's just a big paperweight, you know. Um, you shouldn't have it. Uh, you need to know what to do with it. So PD is huge. And then you were talking about it can't just be a phone. And what we found in our district is actually home, like internet access for kids has declined as cell phone access has gone up because now the parents have the internet on their phone so they don't invest in the internet in the building or in, you know, in the, in the structural house. It, it leads to that. And then the other thing that, sorry, I'm just, these things are just exploding out of my head after your comments. Um, we need to have some kind of a systemic um, approach to it so kids aren't winning or losing the teacher lottery. You know, oh, I have a teacher who does, you know, high quality tech integration, but I don't. And, and now it's just kind of luck of the draw. Um, 
all of those things kind of mitigate and come together and maybe set up my next question, which is how does digital equity impact overall educational equity? Why is that such an important part of that equation? I'm pausing for a sec. So I had this conversation as I started doing more research in the field. And one of the things I noticed is that when districts were really talking about digital equity, they were really talking about how do we create these meaningful opportunities for kids? How do we really support them as expert learners? How do we make sure that we're working with our broader community? Districts that were having that conversation were having these bigger conversations about equity. When the conversation was fairly limited to, we've got devices, we've got hotspots, it's a one size fits all. We're talking digital access, which again is critically important. It's an absolute foundational first step. But when the conversation stopped there, there weren't as many conversations about the bigger equity. And I had this conversation with a policymaker a couple years ago who said, one of the things about digital equity is it makes bigger conversations about equity more concrete for people who aren't ready to have them, right? It's a little bit easier to start talking about devices and internet and we can well, does the device really meet the student's needs? Well, what are their needs? You know, does it meet their motivations? Well, what are those motivations? We have this concrete entry point to start having these conversations where maybe everybody wasn't quite ready to have that conversation in the first place. So we can't separate digital equity from broader equity initiatives. It's, they're completely intertwined. Um, every now and then, I think, there are challenges and I've seen a handful of districts that are doing really great equity work, but maybe they haven't had the resources pre-pandemic to invest in the digital infrastructure. And in those instances, there were conversations about equity without digital equity. I don't know if those are happening as much anymore. That may be one positive of positive-ish of the pandemic. Um, but I do know that those districts who already had that really strong equity foundation looked at technology and were like, this is how it's going to benefit our learners. And it came from that place of initial support versus, oh, I have these things and what am I going to do with them? Um, so I, th I think that answered your question, but they're certainly intertwined. I, it just, I think in a lot of ways makes it more concrete and it's, they're certainly, they necessitate each other. I appreciate that you're, you're giving a position for intellectualizing questions about equity, right? Instead of being in like the emotional right or wrong, right? You can have a way of saying an entry point. So one of the things that I'm really trying to think about, as you say, entry point, we think about the pandemic, you just mentioned the shifts in how district responded to that either digital access versus digital equity. Um, one of one question that I'm that I'm trying to put together as well as is, is um, how has the pandemic impacted a concept of digital equity? Also recognizing where people are accessing information, right? As Paul mentioned, right, with students being able to check online and then teachers having the opportunity to do phone, look at how it looked on the phone before they gave out an assignments. How do you think that has impacted digital equity um, since our um, response to the pandemic? If that sentence question makes sense. Sure, I'll start and then you can tell me if I haven't quite gotten in the right direction. I, you know, one piece when everything first started in spring of 2020, 
it put an unbelievable spotlight on the fact that there were approximately 30% of K-12 public school students without internet access at home, which is a phenomenal number. And of course, if you then break down that 30% by demographic, those that 30% was largely in you know, rural communities, um, global majority communities. Um, they were in, you know, there were issues as the Pew Consortium broke it down where they said there were availability issues such as, you know, rural or even remote communities. And then there were affordability issues. And the highest percentage of students without internet access, it's because of affordability, not availability. And it's often in urban areas. So there's, you know, these broadband deserts inside of large urban areas because essentially the wiring isn't put into housing authorities or, um, you know, lower rent areas. And there just isn't that kind of opportunity. So, you know, when the pandemic hit, it became really abundantly clear that we had a huge issue with the, you know, just digital access component. I think as people started to then realize, well, we're asking our students to do different things. I think the next piece that started to become clear were challenges around digital literacy, where did our students really know how to use the tools that we were giving them if a teacher wasn't right there to support them? You know, and in situations, um, we did a research study with uh, Lindsay Unified School District in Central Valley, California. This was a district that had been one-to-one -one for a while. They have an incredibly robust personalized learning program. They had all of their infrastructure in place. Every kid had access at home. And when we looked at the end of the spring, one of the challenges we found, particularly with elementary school kids, is again, in a household where the parents didn't have the same level of digital literacy. I mean, the kids were really struggling to log in. They were struggling with progress monitoring. Um, you know, the parents didn't necessarily know how to help them. Sometimes there were older siblings who were helping. So even though the district went through Herculean efforts, did a phenomenal job, you know, there, I had a great response from an elementary school teacher who was like, we cheered because one of the kids finally figured out how to get into Zoom on like, week three, but it was so exciting because they finally managed to do it. And there were, you know, we, it was something to celebrate. So I think it underestimated some of that. I think it also underestimated some of the comfort that a lot of teachers have with technology. And I know tech integration specialists, you know, like, and I was one of them as well for years. I mean, we've been saying this for decades, right? Like we've got to help our teachers get more comfortable. I think this really shined a light on that. Um, and then the last piece is, I think it really started to make it abundantly clear in terms of the types of materials and resources available. Because again, Lindsay is a great example. They had a lot of infrastructure in place. The curriculum was already in a way that it was very digital. And so they had reading programs and math programs and all kinds of things that they could flip a switch and say, we were already operating in sort of a blended model now we're just all remote. Yes, there's some changes, but we have the materials versus so many districts where teachers are now trying to cobble things together, figure out how to create those kinds of resources. And then it raised a question of, you know, are they quality resources? Is it something that you just picked up online? Um, I know a lot of tech leaders were struggling where incredibly well-intentioned teachers were like, I'm going to go find the best thing for my kids but maybe they don't know about things like cybersecurity or student data privacy. And, you know, then you had the freemium, it was free now, but it's not free later. So it created, the pandemic opened up this world of saying like, look at all of what we could do. 
And then it was, oh my gosh, look at all we can do. And there was a lot that had to catch up with it. And it did raise all kinds of questions um, going back and forth. It seems like it's more forcing us to be more intentional in what our actions instead of just a responsive as we once were. I appreciate that. That did answer, answer my question. I'm left thinking a little bit more now. You know, and one thing that that we've discovered and I, I've heard around is how do we, you know, now that schools are back face-to-face and teachers have maybe had a little bit of digital overload in some ways, at least in their perspectives, how do we get them to not throw the baby out with the bathwater and just say, I'm done with tech, I'm back face-to-face, I have had enough of that, I'm, I'm not going to use it anymore? <laughs> I. So I'm going to date myself, but I've been working in like this ed tech space since early 2000. And the reason why I got so excited about it before had nothing to do with being remote, but had to do with how can I really meet the unique needs of every student? And so I think it can be tempting to say, okay, this was really hard and now we're back face to face and we want to take advantage of in-person. And I would say, yes, we do want to take advantage of in-person and what are the tools that could really help our students develop as expert learners? And what are the ways in which we could take advantage of digital materials so that we're really honoring their voices and we're providing different perspectives and we're opening up different worlds for them to be you know, socially connected learners? And so I think there's a lot of really good that can come of it if we take a step back and say, what are the real benefits to our students? And how do we then allow the technology to free up even more time for really high quality face-to-face interactions? And that's something I think we can take a little bit, some a lot in higher ed are doing a great job with it. And they call it like the high flex model, but they're t- they've really started to think about how do we move things like lecture and content dissemination, you know, like the old, like not old school, but you know, like the flip classroom model. How do we move some of the lower like cognitive demanding pieces to a digital space so that we really can embrace learning together and collaborating and communicating with colleagues and peers to the face-to-face and the in-person, you know, those real creative endeavors and pursuits. So I think it's going to be a both and if we can really think about what are the unique needs of our students. I love that you brought in the collaboration piece of that. Um, that's such a big thing. People think that when you're using technology that you're isolated and you're all alone. And if you're doing it well, that should not be the case. I always say if if you have students collaborating to create something, they're doing the whole four C's model. You know, they're communicating, collaborating, thinking critically and, and being creative. And there's so much power in that. I feel like that, that gives us a really a good opportunity to make this last final connection to Something that you've already been pointing out, Beth, is this like idea of intentionality. And in your guide, in the um, digital guide that you that you all have put out, you have a, a frame of three essential questions, right, with a prompt. And I'm going to try to say it in a way that highlights the way it's um, done, right? So as you're planning, you need to start thinking who needs what to learn how. Right. Those are your ways that you frame the question. Could you just give us a little bit about how that might inform intentional planning for equitable dissemination of um, digital spaces? Sure. And that was something that is a simple question that took a little while to come up to frame. So beginning with who, who are our students? Right. 
what do we really know about them? What are their learning needs? Again, what are their interests? What are their motivations? What are their voices? Um, what are their schedules? I think that's something that we often forget about, particularly with secondary learners. You know, who are they in terms of, you know, what's really going on in their lives? And then ask the question of like, what is it that they need? Um, I did a lot of work for years in assistive technology and a big piece I always was focused on for my students who had language-based learning challenges is like, I wanna make sure that anything that's text can be heard. If text can't be heard, then I just didn't want to use it. Like I wanted to make sure that there was always text to speech for those students. What did they need? They needed that. They needed dictation. They needed to be able to change fonts so that it could match their learning styles. Um, it could be that they need to learn by audio or video and text or text. You know, there's so much about that what and then how. And that really gets to that kind of experience beyond the, you know, the drill and practice or, you know, the basic content acquisition. But how are they really learning? What are the kinds of choices that we're giving them? Um, what are the kinds of products that they're creating? I, I always loved, there was a social studies teacher I met years ago, and he used to call his classroom the in-class flip, where the devices were in the class. They hadn't gone home yet. This was, oh my gosh, almost 10 years ago. And the way he would frame it is he'd say something like, okay, class, in the next 30 minutes, we would like to achieve this objective. How do you wanna do it? Do you wanna go watch this set of videos that I've loaded up on these iPads? Do you want to read these pages in your textbook? Or do you wanna come sit with me over in this corner and we're gonna learn it together? Like, how do you want to learn it? And so by focusing this on like who it is, what do they need and how can they learn it? I think that's a essential question that really can help teachers start to focus and have that intentionality, as you said, about the, the ways that they think that technology may come into play. All right, well, thanks for all that, Beth. We're gonna hop into our next segment, which is our toolkit. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. What's in the toolkit? What, what is in the toolkit? What's in the toolkit? Check it out. So for me, one of the biggest thing is like, what am I walking away with? This is so much. Oh my God, my head hurts. But luckily we have uh, learningaccelerator.org where you can go and check out tons of information, right? It did the work for you in trying to help you think about the how, the who, and the what. Um, so being able to, and I think last, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about like eliminating the noise, right? Getting away from all the noise and being able to focus in. So I think I'm going to take that as a way, as a really good use and a practical tool to use in my decision-making. Awesome. I'm going to redirect our listeners to some resources as well, and actually on Avid Open Access, because um, one thing that reverberated with me is we need to empower our students with the skills they need to be successful in this digital world. And um, things even like uh, becoming information and media literate. You know, how do you cut through bias? How do you find loaded words in a document? Um, some of those basic literature literacy skills. So we've got a collection on that, that, that people can check out. And then, um, inquiry learning, you know, how do we let students drive their acquisition of information? You talked about the in-class flip a little bit, um, giving students choice on how they learn best and inquiry kind of takes that, that same approach to a lot of degree and, and let students ask the questions and then drive how they want to find the answers to that. 
Um, Beth, we're going to have you uh, have an opportunity to drop something in our toolkit for our listeners, too. Sure. I, I'm going to plug our own website again. So, you know, at our learningaccelerator.org, or even if you go to practices.learningaccelerator.org, we have concrete strategies. We have examples of things that schools have done. Um, we do have our digital equity guide, but in addition to that, for example, we have a full problem of practice series around virtual and hybrid learning with, you know, concrete suggestions and actions and artifacts and all kinds of things to support educators. So I would say, please make sure that you check out our website because we have tons and tons of contact content. And again, to cut through the noise, we do try to make it where it's easy to find and lots of like grab and grow, grab and go strategies um, to be able to put things into action. Appreciate that. Now, after we've filled our toolkit, it's time to take away with our one thing. What's your one thing? It's time for that one thing. One thing. One thing. It's time for that one thing. It's that one thing. It's really just a chance to think about what's something that's resonating in your mind. What would you like to walk away with? What are you still mulling over? I'm going to start. And it's something you said earlier in our conversation that's been really um, in my head as we were doing everything is this idea of deep learning. How are you intentionally utilizing your access and technology to provide real opportunities for learning, not just filler but real engagement in students' interest and standards, right? So I really appreciate just that, that thinking through how do I um, force and set up deep learning for my students. Beth, do you have anything, one thing that's um, sticking in your mind? So I have one thing, and I have to credit two people for the one thing because they stuck it in my head a while ago, and that's um, – Andratisha Fritz-Gerald, who's an educator in um, Ohio, and then Professor Craig Watkins at the University of Texas in Austin. And both of them in different ways have really framed this idea that when we think about how our students are engaging and using technology, that we really step back and ask the questions and say, are they using it in a way that honors their voices and their interests and their motivations? And Andratisha always uses the word honors because just because we think technology should be used in a particular way doesn't mean that that's how someone else perceives it. And so, you know, it's sometimes it's easy as teachers to be like, well, this is how it's supposed to go. And then kids are amazing and they can really think of ways to use things that we might never have considered before. And so how do we step back and really think about our kids and say, well, are they doing something that really honors the way that they're thinking and are they really demonstrating that understanding? And if so, then we need to really respect and value what they've chosen. And so I would leave you with that, making sure that when you think about what our kids are doing to come from that perspective. I'm going to hop right on top of that one and add the word empower. Um, th and part of that's, I mean, it's kind of the same a little bit. Are we, are we empowering students to find, you mentioned their voice and, and their interests and things like that in the technology um, I, I keep coming back to what you said earlier, you know, some of our lower socioeconomic or academically performing students might just do the, you said drill and skill, which is very flattering. I, I will call it drill and kill, which I know a lot of our listeners will. Um, they need the opportunity to be enriched with technology and to really grow. And otherwise they are being deprived of great opportunity. 
And I, I totally agree when we think about this op- question of opportunity in digital space. For me, one of the things that I would like to just think about closing out is this like one is what's the purpose of your conversation? Are you being able to really identify what are you talking about? Are you talking about digital access or digital equity? Right. Today was the first time I even was even thinking about how to distinguish those two pieces. So I appreciate that bit, bit of bit of talk. And a lot of times we say that education is the, the either the caboose or the engine of our society. But sometimes we're actually the middle and still trying to figure it out. So as we're making intentional choices, who, what and how? are some really important questions that we need to think about when we're talking about our students. You can always check out for any sort of information on digital support or digital access. You can always go to us at average.org or you can check out the uh, learning, the learning accelerator.org uh, or practice.learningaccelerator.org to really get some tips, tricks on how to incorporate a digital world for your students and where they're going. We really want to say thank you so much for Beth Holland for our, her time. And um, we miss you, Rena. She was not able to do uh, our third member of our team wasn't here. But Rena, we miss you. Um, thank you so much for your time and have a wonderful evening. We invite you to visit us at avidopenaccess.org, where you can discover resources to support student agency, equity and academic tenacity to create a classroom for future ready learners. And remember, go forth and be awesome. Thank you for all you do. You make a difference.